Well, as I already mentioned, we are stepping into a new teaching series that I'm extremely excited about. And the title of the series is Relational Reboot. Relational Reboot. And so we're going to look at our human relationships over this teaching series, preaching series. We're going to take a look at our relationship with God. And you know what? Jesus teaches something that's profound. Someone approaches Jesus in the older, from the Older Testament view of life and says to him, Jesus, what's the most important law? By this time in Judaism, there's 613 laws. And this questioner would determine kind of what camp Jesus fell into by which law he picked. And yet Jesus said this, the greatest law, the greatest law, is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What is Jesus teaching? He's teaching that relationship is the most important thing in life. Relationship with God, relationship with people. That's what relational reboot is going to be all about. Now, in line with that, many of you who have been a part of City Church for a few months at least know that we offer frequently a course called Soul Care. And Soul Care is a course that is a discipleship process whereby people have been finding that they've been freed up in their souls. Let me phrase it this way. Your soul is the intersection between your physical body and your spiritual life. The soul sits in between those, and so it's kind of the connecting point between your physical body and your spirit, your soul. The, the Greeks announced the soul was the mind, the will, and the emotion. So we've had 125 people go through the soul care class, and I want to say this, the freedom that they have experienced has been profound, absolutely <laughs> profound. The reason why I'm referencing this is that the author of this book, Soul Care, along with another book called Deep Faith, another book called Pathways to the King and River Dwellers, is here with us this morning. So Rob Reamer is the author of this book. We bring him in for the last class of the eight-week series called Soul Care. He comes in, teaches the last chapter, and then is involved with prayer with us to see people set free from life-controlling problems. And again, the shocking transformation of these 125 people's lives has been profound. And so this morning, I'm going to ask Rob Reamer to please join me up on stage. Let's give him a warm City Church welcome as he comes. One of the reasons why I have the books up front is he will be at a table following the service in the foyer. If you would like to purchase one of those books, you can following the service today, but his wife, Jen, and he will be back by that table. And so welcome, Rob to City Church. God bless you, my friend. Nice, buddy. Good to be with you again. Bless you. A number of years ago in my relationship with God, I noticed something sort of uh, stuck. You know, if you walk with God long enough, you will find that there's moments in time where you realize something's not right. You know, you're just stuck someplace. What I noticed was a weird phenomenon. I was connecting with two out of three members of the Trinity. 
By the way, uh, it triggers one of my favorite questions to ask people, and that is this, which member of the Trinity do you least connect with? It always tells you something about your soul issues, by the way. And in my case, you know, I was connecting with Jesus, like I first encountered God in an encounter with Jesus Christ where I experienced this tremendous outpouring of Jesus' love, a revelation of the tender love of Jesus, absolutely changed my life. And I still, to this day, love the Gospels. I mean, when it comes to reading Scripture for me, I want to always choose the Gospels first. I find Jesus is the most compelling person I have ever met in my life. So I love Jesus, dig Jesus, can't get enough of Jesus, connected to Jesus. I connected to the Holy Spirit. I could feel Him. I mean, even now, if I take a moment and just pause, I can sense His presence just that quickly. I hear his voice. I feel his love. But the third member of the Trinity, the Father, felt distant to me. As a matter of fact, if I was really honest and really self-aware, and you came to me and said, when I say Father in heaven, what comes to mind? Just do word association with me. And if I were really honest, I would have said things like, well, you know, he's powerful. He's holy. He's a little distant. He's kind of scary. That's probably what I really would have said. What I discovered really was I was struggling with the Father, and I noticed it first because I was listening to myself pray. Whenever I talk to any member of the Trinity, you know, there's intimate expressions that I would use, except for the Father. With Him, I just called Him God. And I notice, and I'm not very religious, I mean, you, you, you read my stuff or you talk to me for a few minutes, you'll discover very quickly, I don't fall into religious categories. I don't use a lot of religious speak. And some people, when they pray, they use a lot of religious slogans and language. You know, it's Father God, Father God. I don't. I just don't. So I talk from my heart. And so when I'm talking to him, I realized every time I would address him, I'd use the word God. And that's not very intimate. And when I started to understand that, I went, okay, something's wrong. I prayed to Jesus, because I connect with Jesus, so I said to the Lord Jesus, I said, Jesus, listen, I don't understand and experience the Father the way you explain the Father and the way you experience the Father. You are connecting with Him and speaking of Him in a way that is not true to my existence and my experience, and I need you to show me the Father. And that launched me on a journey of trying to discover a right connection with the Father, If you're going to reboot your relationship with God, one of the things you may have to do is right-size some of the relationships that are out of sync. And for me, part of the reason why my relationship with the Father was out of sync was because of my relationship with my own dad growing up. You know, if you talk to any counselor, psychologist, they will say the primary image you have of your Father in heaven comes from your relationship with the men in your life, significant men, beginning with your own earthly father. When I was a kid growing up, my dad had two tools of discipline. My dad has greatly changed. He's a very different man today than he was when I was a child. But when I was a child, he was young. He had a tough childhood. He hadn't processed a lot of that stuff. And so he had two tools of discipline. He either yelled at you or he smacked you. That was it. And this is why if you'd asked me what the father was like, there was a little scary aversion to him. And I realized I 
was missing something. When you are not experiencing the revelatory love of the Father, your intimacy with God will be stunted. And your authority in Christ will be muted. You will never see the things that you could potentially see. And so I realized that I needed to go after this thing. And one of the passages that became incredibly meaningful to me and started to help repair this relationship, reboot this relationship with my Father in heaven, was this passage in Romans chapter 8. And I want to read it with you this morning. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received... The Holy Spirit of God does not make you slaves. Slaves to what? Slaves to having to get it right in order to appease Him. Slaves to performance. In some cases, slaves to shame. Slaves to guilt. Slaves to condemnation. He says, listen, when you received the Holy Spirit, there was something that should have shifted in your relationship with God the Father. And part of what should have shifted is you moved from slaves to sons and daughters. He says, you you receive this Spirit, it doesn't make you slaves again. Rather, he says, if you can pull that back up for them, rather, he says, that you won't live in fear any longer. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, this word sonship here, he's not being, in this particular case, uh, you know, gender bias. What he's using here is a technical Greek word that has to do with firstborn son status. So what he says is this, when you were adopted into the family of God, you had the same status as a firstborn son. In this society, they were the ones who got two-thirds of the inheritance. This is a big deal. Regardless of gender, you have that firstborn son status. And then he says, by him, by the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. You know, in the end there, he makes this comment about we have to share in His sufferings. Well, you're following the God of the cross. You live in a broken, fallen world It's not all glory, he says. There's things that happen in this world that are difficult. It's not all ease and comfort. There are things that are hard. So if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be some hard stuff. But he says, if you're willing to follow him, you'll experience some pain. Sure, you're going to experience pain whether you follow him or not. But you'll experience this connection to him that allows you to pray with new authority. You'll be a co-heir. And if I go back to the slide, I want to just show you the point that Paul is making in this passage. His point is this, the Holy Spirit is revealing the Father's love to us so that we can live as heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Here's what he's saying, the things that belong to Jesus belong to you. But this is a radical concept. The things that belong to Jesus belong to you. This is about access. Imagine for a second that I adopted you into my family. 
And I gave you keys, and you came and lived at our house. We, we live on a house on a lake. It's a gorgeous house. I mean, you get to use our porch and view our lake. I wake up every morning. The lake is perfectly still, and I sit there on my porch and drink my coffee and look out over my lake. And I gave you my keys, and you were a part of our family, and you got to live in the house. You got to access the food. You get to drive the cars. You get to do whatever it is that my kids have access to. But let's say when I adopted you into the family, though cognitively you realized this is what I was saying, yet somehow or another, you didn't believe it. And so you didn't fully access the privilege that I was giving to you. You have access, but you are denying yourself access by your disbelief. This is exactly what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is this, if our belief system is going to catch up with the actual thing that has happened about the adoption into the family of God, we're going to need the revelation of the Holy Spirit. It is only the revelation of the Spirit that can move the cognitive concept of my adoption into a real experience that changes me and gives me access. It allows me to start to play at a different level in my relationship with God. Now hear me for a second. Sometimes we aren't experiencing this sense of access that is ours because there are blocks in our soul. And I'll, you know, that's why I wrote the book Soul Care. Soul Care is there and you, you know, for removing those blocks. But just think with me for a second about your soul like a suitcase. You know, I travel quite a bit. And when I travel on the beginning of a trip, you know, everything's packed nice and neat into the suitcase. You know, there's everything you need. Your clothes are all there. It's all packed neat. Everything's folded. Everything's clean. Everything's nice. And then by the end of the trip, I'm gone four days or something like that, you know, everything's dirty. And I just throw it all in. I don't even fold it. I just chuck it in the suitcase. I go home. Before I can leave for the next trip, I have got to unpack the dirty clothes out of the suitcase. Because if I don't unpack the dirty clothes, I won't have room for the new stuff to get filled in. And what has to happen is I've got to remove the dirty, blocking stuff before I can pack it full of nice, neat, clean stuff again. We've got to get rid of the old. One of the things that's in the suitcase for so many of us that is blocking us from all the freedom and fullness that Jesus has purchased for you on the cross is shame. And I Just a word or two on shame this morning. Some of us experience shame. Shame's a sense of feeling like there's something wrong with me. I don't have what it takes. I'm not lovable. If you really knew me, you wouldn't love me. What happens with us when we have shame is we don't want to present all that we are to other people because we're afraid if I present everything, if I'm really open and honest, really confessional with you, you might reject me. And shame keeps us at a distance. The problem with shame is it makes us feel like our souls had a bit of Teflon on it. Nothing sticks to Teflon. When you have shame, it's hard to experience and have the love of God stick. When you have shame, it's hard to experience a compliment from someone else and have it stick. It's hard to experience bonding with God or others. It's like Teflon. And some of us carry shame in our souls because of things we've done in our past. Some of you have done things in the past that you've never told another person. And it blocks you with shame. Secrets create shame. And that's a Teflon starts to form on our souls. 
For some of us, we're carrying shame not just because of the things we've done. We're carrying shame because of things that have been done to us. Listen, in a crowd this large, there's a huge percentage of people that have experienced some form of abuse. For some of you, physical abuse. For some of you, emotional abuse. For some of you, sexual abuse. Sadly, some of you experience spiritual abuse. Many of you have experienced name-calling, belittling, bullying. Nobody experiences this kind of stuff without picking up some shame. What happens is, when we're carrying around this suitcase and there's all kinds of shame because of the things we've done and the things that have been done to us packed in the suitcase, pretty soon there's no room for all the freedom and all the fullness that Jesus has for us. We're missing out on our access. We hear it, we know it, but we don't believe it. And we don't act on it. This is why we need the revelation of the Spirit to help us understand who we are as children of God. And so for the rest of the talk, I just want to talk about how. How do you receive the adoptive love of the Father through the revelation of the Spirit? What can you do to position yourself to be ready to receive it. And let me give you three things. These are things that I did and things the passage will leave you towards. And First, if we're going to receive the adoptive love of the Father, we need the Holy Spirit to illuminate Scripture to us. I started meditating on this passage that we just looked at in Romans chapter 8. You know, I started meditating on Romans 8 because uh, this passage is just soaked with the love of God with the love of the Father. And it's about the Spirit's revelation. So I was meditating on that one. There were other ones I started meditating on. First John chapter 3, verse 1 says, What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And I was meditating on that one. Ephesians 1, there's all kinds of passages in the Bible that talk about the love of the Father. And so I meditated on a bunch of these passages. 2 Timothy 3.16 is a really important verse of Scripture. We often quote it. The passage says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And you know, a lot of times, when it says it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. And a lot of times, when people read that passage, what they do is this. They read the passage and they say, what that meant was God inspired the original authors of the Scripture to write the Scripture, and it's infallible, you know, and that's true. But I don't think that's what Paul meant when he wrote it. What Paul meant was this. Every time you pick up this holy writ called Scripture, you are one Holy Spirit breath away with a fresh encounter with a living God. Do you realize there are days when you pick up the Bible and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit breathes on a verse, on a phrase, on an image. And there's something that stirs inside of you. That stirring is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He is taking the truth that you know in your head, and He is bringing it to your heart through revelation. And that revelation is exactly what we need if we're going to experience the adoptive love of the Father and not just know about it. So I was meditating on this passage of Scripture, and one day when I was meditating on it, I was meditating on Romans chapter 8, and this phrase, the Holy Spirit stirred inside of me, this phrase about being a co-heir. And I'm telling you, it was just like I read it for the first time. I'd read it hundreds of times before, but it struck me like thunder. And I went, what you're telling me is the things that belong to Jesus belong to me, that I have access just like Jesus has access. 
And I got to tell you, that's not the way I was living my life. And I started meditating on that concept and that phrase for weeks. One day I went away to the monastery. The monastery is where I go a lot of times just to meet alone with God. It's a very remote place in Petersham, Massachusetts. And when I go there, I don't, I don't even get a cell phone signal, you know. There's like no signal there at all. And uh, every once in a while, I'll be sitting there and all of a sudden, you know, a little brief moment, a cell phone signal somehow or another breaks through the atmosphere and I'll get a text that pops up or something. I was sitting there one day, and all of a sudden, the phone rang. Listen, I've been going to the monastery for more than a dozen years. That is the only time, the entire time I've ever gone, that the phone rang. I look down. It's my daughter. It's my second-born, Courtney. I pick up the phone, and I answered it real quick. I knew that this signal was not going to last. I said to her, sweetheart, I'm at the monastery, and I'm going to go out and call you back from the monastery phone. If you get a phone call and the number says, you know, most holy trinity monastery, pick up. It's not the monks. It's me. <laughs> okay, Dad. I hang up the phone. I go out in the other room. I call her up. She goes, Dad, I need to talk to you. Listen, you need to understand something. There are very few people in the entire planet that I would give access in that sacred space. But she's my daughter. She gets access into the sacred space. Can you understand what the Father is telling you in this passage? When you have revelation that you have been adopted by the Father, you get access into the sacred space of God. You have access into the throne. You get to speak. And God listens to you like He listens to Jesus. This is a phenomenal concept. But we need the revelation of the Holy Spirit to sink it in. So meditate on Scripture and let the Spirit begin to illuminate this to you. Let me give you a second thing. Second, we receive the adoptive love of the Father when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and testify to us about it. He makes known to us the adoptive love of the Father through direct revelation. That's what verse 16 said. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we belong to God. You know, you think about a testimony for a second. You know, if you're in a court system and somebody gives a, a testimony, what they're telling about is they're telling what they have seen, what they have heard, and what they have experienced. That's what someone does who testifies. Catch what he's saying in the passage. What he's saying is this, the Holy Spirit has been in the throne room of heaven with the Father and the Son. He has heard what the Father has said about you. He has listened to the Father declare in the heavenly places that you belong to Him. He has heard what Jesus has said in the heavenly places about the power of His shed blood to erase all your sin, to purify, purge, cleanse your soul so you have no more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation, no more debt before God. He has heard the Father and the Son testify these things in the heavenly places. And what He's doing is He is testifying to you about what they have said about you. But you know what happens to us too many times? The Holy Spirit's trying to talk to us about this stuff, and we aren't picking up what He's putting down because of the junk in the suitcase. Shame keeps the testimony of the Spirit from sticking so often. 
When I started wrestling with this stuff, one of the things I started doing was every day I would sit before the Lord, and again, I I would talk to the Holy Spirit, because I'm reading Romans chapter 8, and it says the Holy Spirit's going to testify to my spirit that I belong. And I said to him, Spirit of God, I need you to testify to me, witness to me, speak to me, reveal to me the love of the Father, because there's a gap. What I read about, I'm not experiencing. I need your testimony. And every day I would sit there. I had a a journal, you know, just a pen and a pad of paper. And I would listen every day for the testimony of the Spirit. And every day the Holy Spirit would speak to me. Every day the first thing He would say to me is, I love you. And I'd write it down. The next day, I love you. I'd write it down. Next day, I love you. I'd write it down. The next day, I love you. I'd write it down. Every day, I love you. I love you. I love you. Six months down the road, I love you. I love you. I love you. Six months. Finally, I looked at him. I go, come on. Is that really you? I mean, am I just making this stuff up? Is this just me being egotistical and needy? Really? Is that you? And I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, don't you tell your children you love them every day? I'm like, yeah, but those are my children. And of course, I'm thinking about the passage like he's adopted me into the family co-heir with Christ. He said, I love you even more. Later on that week, I was up in the middle of the night. My firstborn child was, you know, at the time was, I don't know, a baby still, really young. And she was crying in the middle of the night. It's an amazing thing to be a parent. You never knew how much the human heart had capacity to love until you held a child of your own in your own arms. It, it, it blows your mind. It's staggering. Anyhow, so I'm holding her in the middle of the night, and here she has All she's done, please understand, all she's done is interrupted my need for sleep with her screaming. And I have gone in, got her. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. She's screaming her head off for no apparent reason. No reason. I'm holding her in a rocking chair. She's screaming her lungs out, and I am just feeling overwhelming amount of love for her. That is parenting right there. Okay, I'm holding this kid. I'm feeling this bursting love in my heart. She finally falls asleep. She's got her head nuzzled in against my neck and chin, and she's just kind of cuddling, and my heart is exploding with love. Like, I am thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, I can't believe how much I love you. And in the middle of this love fest I'm having with this kid, who is now knocked out cold and doesn't care a rip, right? In the middle of this thing, I hear the Holy Spirit, and he says to me, that is how the Father feels about you. And I'm like, that can't be true. He says, even more. That's why his son died for you. Even more. Listen, the whole time, you know what was happening? The whole time, it was like the water of the Holy Spirit was raining down. And there was a little bit of increase around me. The water level of the Spirit of the Father's affection was rising. In the beginning, there was kind of a desert. But then it was like there was wetness on the ground, and now I was standing in a a little bit of a puddle. But he wasn't done yet. If we're going to experience this adoptive love of the Father, the revelation of the adoptive love of the Father, there's, there's one last thing we need to pray for, and that is this. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God. Listen, there's a difference between a, a drizzle and an outpouring. You know, when I get a drizzle, I go outside. Yesterday, it was kind of misting outside. You know, you go outside, and you you can literally walk through a a drift drizzle. You can walk through a misting rain and not even be wet, you know. You don't even notice. But then there's days where it is absolutely a torrential downpour, and you walk outside 100 feet, and you are soaked 
to the bone. You are absolutely drenched. And this phrase in Romans chapter 5, where, you know, the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 5, Paul says, the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in our hearts. You see, that's not a misting. That's not a whisper. That's not a trickle. That's an open of a floodgate. And what I was praying for, while the water level was rising and I was standing ankle deep now in the love of God, what I was praying for was a significant revelation of the Holy Spirit where the love of God drenched me so deeply, it changed me completely. And I prayed that way for months. Just kept praying. Can can I suggest to you some days, you know why we don't get everything God has for us? It's because we don't pursue with all our hearts. Luke chapter 11, verse 13 is a really interesting verse. Jesus said, if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those of you who ask? But the context, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. What he's saying is this, you can have as much of God as you want, but no more than you're willing to pay the price for. As a matter of fact, I would suggest to you, you have as much of God right now as you have been willing to pay the price for. And I kept pressing in and pressing through because I believed there was more, and I want all God has for me. Months I prayed this prayer, Lord, show me the Father. Holy Spirit, illuminate who the Father is. Pour out the Father's love every day. Finally, one day I had a dream. Listen, I've had a handful of dreams that have come from God, but none like this one. This one blew me away. The setting of the dream was this. I was speaking at a men's retreat. You have to understand, uh, dreams are very symbolic, and the symbolism has, has meaning. It's, it's important. I was speaking at a men's retreat because I had an identity wound, and when you're a man, your identity wound is masculine. It's a masculinity wound. And in my case, you know, that meant there was a lot of things. Like I was driven because I was trying to prove my worth It was part of the shame I carried. You try to prove worth. In my case, proving it through success and some other things and so on. And so, anyways, I have this dream. I'm at a men's retreat. And uh, while I'm at this men's retreat, it's at the very end of the retreat. I'm leaving. And so I'm walking off the stage. And as I'm walking through the auditorium, you know, there's all these guys that are coming up to me, giving me hugs. And I didn't know any of the men except for one that I come to later in the dream. And all these guys are giving me hugs. But they're giving me man hugs. You know what a man hug is? Three pats and you're done. I mean, anything more than that is definitely suspicious. Three and out, okay? So I'm walking across the room, and I'm okay with that because that's a level of intimacy I could handle, you see? And so they'd come up to me, three pats, you know, boom, 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 hard pats, and they'd let you go. Next guy, boom, 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 hard pat, let you go. Next guy, boom, 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 hard pat, let you go. I'm making my way through the auditorium. It's, oh, it's great. It's good men hug stuff. And finally, I get to the end of this auditorium, and I walk outside, and he's the only guy in the dream that I knew. And he was really important. See, again, people too, just like things, are symbolic in dreams. And so this guy was uh, probably one of my most vocal critics. I know that, you know, Pastor Pete, it's Pastor Appreciation Week. He doesn't have critics in this church. He wouldn't, you wouldn't dare. But in my church in New England, you know, we had critics. You see? So this guy, he, he sat down with me one time. He took me out to Dunkin' Donuts, big, big spender. And... Uh, <laughs> He, he had a legal pad with him, and on the legal pad, 
you got to excuse my French because this is literally what he said. 21 things you suck at. That was, the, that was the legal pad. And he sat down for two hours and he just proceeded to walk through the list of the things. You suck at this. You suck at that. You suck at this. You suck at that. You suck at this. You suck at that. Two hours. Two hours. And hear me for a second. When he was all done, I never said a word, by the way, and he wasn't yelling, he wasn't screaming, he wasn't, you know, didn't call me any names, just you suck at this stuff. You just suck at everything. And um, actually, it was a really helpful day for me. I realized how much I suck, and so it was great. <laughs> at the end of two hours, I said to him, do you even like me? He goes, oh, this isn't personal. I thought, oh, thank God, because really, could you imagine if it were? I mean, by the way, please hear me. So... <laughs> We use an expression in the U.S. That's what we say in the U.S. sometimes, you know. What you don't know won't hurt you. And I just want to let you know, when it comes to the issues of your soul, what you don't know is already killing you, and it's killing those around you. The lack of self-awareness was, was utterly dangerous. But you see, what you have to understand in the dream is this guy didn't represent himself. See, what this guy represented was the critic within can I suggest to you, some of you, the reason why it's so hard for you to receive the testimony of the Spirit about who you are in Christ is because you're your own worst critic? He tells you, and you tell him all the reasons why he shouldn't love you. He tells you, and you remind him of all the things you've done wrong. He testifies to you, and you remind him of all your shortcomings. He tells you, and you, you remind him of why you shouldn't be loved. It's shame. It's like Teflon. Nothing sticks. And see, I had enough shame in the suitcase of my soul that in some ways I was my own worst critic, my harshest judge. He's the only guy in the dream I didn't hug because you can't make peace with the critic within. You have to put it to death because you're making it too much about you instead of about him. And you got to take your eyes off of you and put them on him. So I walked past that guy, and when I got past that guy, there was one last guy in the parking lot. The last guy in the parking lot was about my dad's age, and at the time in the dream, I was about 40-ish, so my dad would have been 60-something. I walked out past this guy, and he's standing in the parking lot, gives me a man hug. Well, you know, everybody, everybody was giving me hugs, so he's giving me a hug too. The only difference is nobody taught this guy the man hug rules. So he has got a hold of me, and he is not letting me go. And he's got me uncomfortably long and uncomfortably close, and my skin is crawling inside like, dude, you need to let me go. Let me go, let me go, let me go, let me go. You're killing me. And so he's holding on, and I'm just squirming like... You're killing me, dude. And finally, this guy who is killing me with love pushes me back, looks me in the eyes, and says to me, I am your Father in heaven, and I love you. And I lost it. I woke up. My pillow was soaking wet. I went downstairs into my living room, and I sobbed and sat and an absolute outpour of the Father's love for two hours. He drenched me with his love. 
Listen, before that, I could have given you all the right theological answers of who my father was. I could have given you all the right biblical passages of what my father is about. I could have given you all the right doctrinal answers on a test. But I didn't have the revelatory, experiential knowledge from the Spirit of God about the adoptive love of the Father. And that day changed everything. Some of you, you know what? You could pass the test, but there's still a block between you and the Father. And it is really time to reboot. If you're here this morning and you just want to experience more of the Father's love, would you just stand with me as I close in prayer with you? Just put your hands out. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that they might know, not know about, but know the love of the Father. I pray for the revelatory, experiential release of the testimony of the Spirit that you would testify, Spirit of God, of the things you have heard, the things you have seen. I pray for the revelation, illumination of Scripture as they read. You have phrases, words, jump off the page, stir deep within them. And I pray for the outpourings. May they, these dear brothers and sisters, press in and press through to find all that you have. May they live in the adoptive love of the Father as co-heirs of Christ. To the glory of the King and for the sake of the kingdom. In Jesus' name.